1: Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Monday, March 6th. Coming up today...
3: Tensions heat up as the U.S. considers banning investments in parts of China.
1: Credit Suisse loses support from one of its biggest backers.
3: Investors await testimony from Fed Chair Jay Powell and Friday's jobs report.
1: And the Republican field narrows as former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan bows out of the presidential race.
4: An e-bike fire injures five in the Bronx, and Mayor Adams has a warning for fellow Democrats. I'm John Tucker. Those stories straight ahead.
5: I'm John Stash, in Sports, making nine wins in a row for the Knicks. A thrilling double overtime victory in Boston. The Nets and Devils also won. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, the business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Each morning on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts.
3: Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager.
1: And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today.
3: We could see more tension between the U.S. and China coming out of Capitol Hill this week. The head of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Mark Warner, says he will introduce a bipartisan bill that would allow the U.S. to systematically ban Chinese technology. Warner says that includes TikTok.
6: They are taking data from Americans, not keeping it safe. But what worries me more with TikTok is that this can be a propaganda tool.
3: Senator Warner made the comments on Fox News Sunday. He says China presents a bigger threat to the U.S. than the Soviet Union.
1: Well, Nathan, the TikTok news comes as the White House closes in on an executive order banning U.S. investment in parts of the Chinese economy. And we get the latest live with Bloomberg, Steve Rappaport. Good morning,
3: Steve. Good morning, Karen and Nathan. The restrictions target investments in projects that can be used in China's military applications, including AI and code-breaking technologies. That's according to sources who say the White House submitted two reports to Congress on Friday outlining the cost to set up a so-called outbound investment program with the Treasury Department. Those reports obtained by Bloomberg indicate President Biden is prepared to request funding for the effort this week in his fiscal 2024 budget. Live in New York, I'm Steve Rappaport, Bloomberg Daybreak. Steve, thanks. Meantime, China is setting out a modest economic growth target from its National People's Congress of around 5% for this year. Beijing's leaders are avoiding any form of large stimulus. Bloomberg's Jill Desis in Hong Kong says it's a conservative target.
2: Somewhere around 5% gives Beijing quite a lot of room to work with. Um, but they also want to, uh, they don't want to overstimulate the economy. They kind of want to keep things on track. And ultimately, I think what Beijing is looking for this year is economic growth that's really going to be driven by uh, a rebound in demand.
3: Bloomberg's Jill Deesa says Chinese Premier Li Keqiang hinted Beijing would support housing but would also regulate the sector more tightly.
1: Well, back here in the U.S., Nathan, we're learning more about the presidential field for 2024. Former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan says he will not seek the White House, and Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has that story.
4: Hogan says a full field will be very bad for the party and the country. Hogan on CBS has heard here on Bloomberg says the party needs to focus on traditional Republican values now.
3: Without causing... Uh, being part of a, uh, a train wreck uh, that might repeat history and uh, just allow us to nominate Donald Trump as our nominee because I think that would be bad for the party and bad for the country.
4: Now, Trump prevailed in 2016 with about 30% of the vote in the party with the field widely split about where things look to stand now. In San Francisco, I'm at Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak.
3: Thank you, Ed. Turning to the economy, it's a big week for U.S. investors. It all starts with Fed Chair Jay Powell testifying before the Senate tomorrow. We get more from Bloomberg Markets reporter Valerie Teitel.
2: It's going to be his last remarks before the next meeting on March 22nd, and markets are going to be paying very close attention to if he keeps using this word disinflation. We haven't heard from him since the last CPI report that showed that this disinflation, especially when it comes to the goods, uh, the good section of, in- of inflation, is slowing. Does he perhaps change his change his posture, change his tone? Does he maybe not use that word? Also, any hints on his view of the recent string of strong data? Does he cast it maybe as a as a one-off down to seasonals being
1: readjusted in the new year.
3: Bloomberg's Valerie Teitel says after Powell, attention turns to Friday with the release of February's jobs report.
1: Well, in Europe today, Nathan, shares of Credit Suisse are down more than 1%. The troubled Swiss bank has lost support from one of its biggest backers. Harris Associates has sold its entire stake in Credit Suisse. The investment firm's chief investment officer, David Harrow, is questioning the future of the lender. Those comments follow an interview Harrow did with Bloomberg last August, where he issued this warning to the Swiss bank.
0: But you can't keep doing the same thing as they've been doing over the last decade and get zero results. They have to put an end to it. At some point, they either have to fix it or to look for other options.
1: And that was Harris Associates Chief Investment Officer David Harrow speaking to Bloomberg in August. Harris was the biggest shareholder in credit Suisse for many years. The firm halved its stake last year and is now reportedly exited entirely. One
3: well, other bank news out of Europe today, Karen, we're learning UBS cut employee bonuses by 10% last year. The move follows a slump at UBS in advising on mergers and stock and bond issuance.
1: Well, Citigroup is preparing to almost double its staff in Paris. The bank is building a new trading floor there, and its trading division will eventually have 250 people. The expansion in Paris comes as Citi and its rivals continue to grapple with life after Brexit. And
3: capping off our banking news, Karen, please join us today for a special conversation with Jamie Dimon. The J.P. Morgan Chase CEO sits down for an exclusive interview on Bloomberg Radio and Television today at 1130 a.m. Wall Street time. You can listen live on Bloomberg Radio at Bloomberg.com or on the Bloomberg Business app. It's 40 degrees in New York. It'll be sunny this morning, but clouds will increase through the day on our way to the low 50s. Rain tonight will change into a bit of snow in the overnight hours, lows in the low 30s. Time now to take a look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world with Bloomberg's John Tucker. Good morning, John.
4: And good morning, Nathan. Another warning about e-bikes and their batteries. New York City fire marshal blames a burning lithium ion battery in a scooter for a five alarm fire that tore through a commercial building in the Bronx on Sunday. For firefighters, one person were injured. Eric Adams is the mayor.
5: When you saw how fast this fire started and spread, it just really gives you a point of pause.
4: The fire department arrived at the scene within four minutes, but the flames were so intense, the structure was destroyed. At a hallowed site for the 1960s civil rights movement, ahead of a planned 2024 re-election bid, President Biden tried to solidify support among black voters.
6: As the saying goes, silence is complicity. And I promise you, my administration will not remain silent. I promise you.
4: Biden spoke in Selma, Alabama, marking the 58th anniversary of Bloody Sunday when state troopers attacked voting rights demonstrators. He listed accomplishments in the White House, including appointing the first black woman Supreme Court justice. At the Conservative Political Action Conference held in the D.C. suburbs over the weekend, former President Donald Trump was asked if he'd continue his presidential ambitions if he were indicted.
6: Absolutely. I wouldn't even think about leaving.
4: Another other news, a small plane trying to return to a suburban Long Island airport after the pilot reported smoke in the cockpit crashed on Sunday, killing one person and critically injuring the two others on board. No injuries reported on the ground. The Piper aircraft crashed shortly after 3 p.m. while returning to attempt an emergency landing at Republic Airport in Farmingdale and authorities in Ohio say there's no indication of any risk to public health from the derailment of a Norfolk Southern cargo train between Dayton and Columbus. The second derailment of a company train in the state in a month, 28 of the train's 212 cars, including four empty tankers derailed Saturday afternoon in Springfield Township. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm John Tucker, and this is Bloomberg. Nathan.
3: Thank you, John. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update, brought to you by
5: Tri-State Audi. Good morning, John
3: Stashauer.
5: All right, thanks, Nathan. What a weekend for the Knicks. The win Friday in Miami with the Julius Randle Heroics. They went to Boston. Celtics out to avenge their loss last Monday at the Garden. They also blew a 28-point lead Friday and lost to the Nets. Celtics seemed in good shape, led by 14 midway through the third quarter. But by the time they went to the fourth, the Knicks had the lead. They actually went up by 11 in the fourth. The game went to
6: double overtime. In the backcourt, five seconds. In the front court, four seconds. Driving right to Horford. Quarter three, short. One second to go. That's it. The Knicks win their ninth straight game, coming back. In the third quarter, in the fourth quarter, going to double overtime, and they win it in
5: Boston. Uh, ESPN New York, 131-129. They won without Jalen Brunson due to a foot injury, so Emmanuel quickly started, played 55 minutes. He scored 38 points. He had the Knicks' first seven of the second OT. 31 for Randall, 29 for R.J. Barrett. Tomorrow at the Garden, chance for 10 wins in a row. They'll play Charlotte, who just lost to the Nets in Brooklyn, 102-86. Michael Bridges scored 33. The two stars, the Nets just traded Met and Phoenix beat Dallas by two. Kevin Durant 36 points for the Suns. Kyrie Irving had 30 for the Mavs. Devils at Arizona blew a two-goal third period lead but scored 23 seconds into overtime to win 5-4. to four. Yankees with eight runs in the ninth inning to beat the Braves 10-6. Three-run homer In the ninth by the Yanks' 20-year-old prize prospect, Jason Dominguez. He's batting .417 this spring. Mets got home runs from Francisco Lindor, and Pete Alonso. beat the Cardinals 7-1. John Stash, Howard,
6: Bloomberg Sports. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time.
5: Live from coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak.
3: Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager, and we are getting the trading week started with stocks in a bit of a holding pattern. A more modest growth target from China seems to be dampening sentiment after a rally to end last week. Let's bring in Lori Calvacina to help us get set for the trading week ahead, head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Lori, it's great to speak with you. As always, do you see any read-through to the U.S. market from China coming out with this 5% target, which was a little bit less than what economists were expecting?
2: well thanks for having me as always and i think it it very much to me just sort of keeps uh, with the same tone that we've been experiencing lately which is that, you know, maybe we need to soften our expectations a little bit, but this should definitely, you know, I think it should be looked at as, you know, the, the pace to recovery um, or the path to recovery, rather, is, is intact at this point in time. So that's really how I take it this morning. I also think that investors have been looking for reasons to be excited about non-U.S. markets. So it feels like this kindles the fires for that theme a little bit as well.
3: So are you dampening your expectations then for your target for the S&P 500? I know you've got a 4,100 target, which isn't too far off from where we are now.
2: You know, we feel pretty neutral on the market in here. And I I feel like I continue to be sort of accused of being overly bullish by the deeply bearish elements out there. Um, But we really feel pretty even-keeled from here. And I would say the idea that money flows have favored non-U.S. equities and will continue to do so for at least a little while longer is something we've already baked into the forecast. And we've also, you know, baked into the idea that bonds look more attractive than stocks from here. Um, We have a couple different models that speak to that. And people are always surprised that when I show them that in that environment, you don't necessarily see equities go down. You just have to get used to more subdued returns. I feel like it blows their mind a little bit. But nevertheless, that is what the data shows. So I think we've got, you know, those kinds of pressures, the idea that stocks aren't the best game in town. We've got it already baked into the 4100 view at this point.
5: Okay.
3: the uh, outflows that we're seeing out of the U.S., does that present a buying opportunity for U.S. stocks in the short term?
2: So I think that, you know, the technicals have gotten everybody excited recently. Um, and, you know, we still think that we're in this kind of messy normalization period, similar to 0203, similar to 2010-2011. So I do think things are going to continue to chop around. And I think whether or not you, you sort of look at this as a particularly good buying opportunity really is a function of your time horizon. I think there's still a lot of opportunities in things like small caps. I think financials also look deeply compelling. They're, they've kind of had to get some of their downward revisions for 2023 out of the way. They're well into that process at this point. Um, but I do think that you can find bargains if you look in the right places right now.
3: We have seen a little bit of a pullback in terms of uh, Treasury yields right now. Uh, what does that mean for stocks in the short term?
2: So. I get more pullback in 10-year yields. That's very good for equity valuations. Um, and you know, we, we continue to talk to our rate strategists who think that yields are going to move a bit lower from here. If you look at the ECFC consensus on Bloomberg, it's also calling you know for something more subdued from here. And when we talk to our rate strategists, they think there's going to be just a change in the flow dynamics between now and year end that could soften the yields a bit. Um, what I see in my modeling, because remember I'm an equity person is that if you pull the 10-year treasury yield down, it's going to give you the room for for P.E. multiples to expand just a little bit. And once we get to some stability in terms of earnings forecast, and I think we're getting pretty close to that point, it should allow investors to get a little bit more confidence to get back into the equity market, know what P.E. they're paying for stocks, and really be willing to say, okay, I don't think P.E.s need to come down anymore. I think they can move up a little bit. Um, so I think it's really giving that stability to the valuation environment that it matters from an equity perspective.
3: Well, as you know, Lori, there's been a lot of talk uh, among market analysts about valuations getting stretched in this market. Are you starting to see signs of a little bit more stabilization in valuations, or could there be uh, more moves to come?
2: when you're thinking about valuations and PEs, I think you have to really be very specific about what year you're talking about. If I look at the PE of the S&P 500 against last year's earnings or forecasts for next year's earnings, things look pretty reasonable. If I look, you know, kind of in line with the long-term average, if I look at a PE multiple against 2023 earnings on my number, they look expensive. They don't look crazy expensive. Um, But I do think investors are kind of getting to the point where they're ready to look through 2023 and start focusing on 2024. And if you are willing to go ahead and make that determination, I think that you can feel a lot better, you'll sleep a lot better at night in terms of equity valuation.
0: Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just a show for you. He's become even more larger
2: than life. Find Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars.
1: They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain.
2: Each
0: week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire.
2: It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc.
0: From Bloomberg Business Week, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.